Hello and welcome to Hosanna. I'm Pastor Jen Alexander and please hear me say, we believe the Lord led you here to help you grow in faith and look a little more like Jesus. After today's message, we encourage you to download the Hosanna app for more opportunities to connect and grow. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be with you. I'm wiping away tears actually after that worship time. So uh, God's presence is with us. Amen. It is so good to be with you at uh, all of our campuses live this morning. It's been a while since we have done that uh, this way, so we're so feeling so good to be together. It does feel like, like coming home. Uh, my name is Ryan Alexander, if we haven't met yet, and I serve as the lead pastor uh, at Hosanna. And something we've been saying for years, and I want to say it now, and I mean it, we believe the Lord led you here today. Uh, he has something very special and specific uh, for each and, and every one of you. you know, yesterday was a big day in our country, was it not? Um, the remembering 9-11, 20th anniversary of, of 9-11. And uh, of course, we all can remember, most of us can remember if we were alive then, um, old enough to remember where we were uh, when that happened. I was buying donuts at Cub because I was the pastoral intern on staff way back in the day. And so I was buying donuts for the pastor's meeting, and uh, the, the person checking me out made me aware of what was happening. And then, of course, our pastor's meeting was very different than we had planned. And then, in, in so many ways, everything changed because of 9-11. And um, it's good. I've been thinking a lot about it. It's good to remember. It's good to remember those who died tragically. We've been hearing some of those stories again, haven't we? Uh, it's good to remember those who died heroically, uh, sacrificially, who, who gave their lives trying to rescue other people. And then as I've been thinking about that, I've been thinking about how we could afford to get uh, even more inspired toward that end, to, to be people who are ready to sacrifice in a moment's notice for other people, to, to do whatever it takes, to forget about ourselves and do whatever it takes uh, to rescue others, to be inspired by those stories of 20 years ago. And of course, we, we remember again, if we were old enough to remember, just how unified our country was after that event. As horrific as it was, as tragic as it was, I think we could afford to recapture some of that unity that we had then. Amen? Amen. So we remember. We pause to remember. Uh, if, this is your, if this is your church home, thank you for remembering uh, to bring your tithes and your offerings uh, to the Lord, returning your tithes and offerings to the Lord at Hosanna. Uh, we, um, we encourage this, if this is your church home, uh, for lots of reasons. And it's really easy to, to give um, at Hosanna and to get started. You just text Hosanna Give to 94000 and, uh, and we'll send you a link and you'll be well on your way. Every, everything that happens at Hosanna, through Hosanna, is made possible through your faithful, generous giving. And here's the other thing that happens when you tithe. You're saying, I trust God with my finances. I trust God with, my, I trust God with everything. And when we trust God, uh, good things happen. Good things happen. As Jen mentioned last week, uh, we just got back from our, from our annual August adventure in Washington State, where we're both from originally. And this year, we, we took an RV out to the West Coast. Right, that there's an RV. Name the movie. You know the movie? Yeah, you probably do. Christmas Vacation. And that there's our new dog in the window. <laughs> it looks pretty lifelike. Not a real dog. 
Uh, but we had a great time. We made all kinds of memories. I'm so glad that, we, that we, we did that. Lifelong memories. It was a great experience. In fact, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Literally, it will be once-in-a-lifetime, all right? And not just because every time I filled the gas tank, I almost you know, passed out and fainted because of how expensive it was. Uh, but because when you're driving that thing in the open country of North Dakota, Montana, it whips all over the place, and, and that's, that's challenging. But as, a, as fun as it was uh, to be in a home on wheels, we were ready to get home. We were ready to sleep on our own beds, to have a roof over our, roof over our heads. Uh, we were ready to come home, to be home. Because there's no place like home, right? There's no place like home. We're, we're in a, a series called Homecoming. We're just kicking it off this week. And uh, that, that word, homecoming, probably conjures up some feelings, some thoughts, some memories for you, some good, some bad. Maybe going back to your childhood home after being gone for a long time, being away for a long time. Maybe for some of you, it's your, your college-aged children coming home after being away for a while. Maybe it's, it's the fall. It makes you think of the fall, a football game, a dance. So we thought it'd be fun if each of the preachers of the series shared a homecoming picture from their past. So Jason's got a doozy he's going to share with us. Jen will probably share when she was homecoming queen when she preaches. All right. <laughs> but Jen and I met in college. All right. So here's a picture of us at the homecoming dance. Oh, as you can see, I had horns, not hair back then. <laughs> and as you can see, Jen was so cute and she still is. And she keeps getting cuter. You can tell her that, by the way. She was 19, I was 22, something like that, going way back. Homecoming. Some of you are coming back to Hosanna after being gone for a long time, for whatever reason. And, and it feels like homecoming. That's you. Welcome home. Welcome home. Uh, maybe you're new, brand new. Never been to Hosanna before, but, but you're here. And we've heard people say this before. The first time they stepped into Hosanna, they felt like they were home. This felt like this is home. And so if that's you, you're new, we, we hope you have that experience and hear this too, welcome home. Welcome home, homecoming. There are a lot of great homecoming stories in the Bible. I, I could go on and on. You know, there's Jacob after he tricks Esau for, for the birthright and he comes home. There's Moses going home to Pharaoh's palace where he grew up. There's the Israelites coming home after the exile. There's Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, going to his ancestral home of Bethlehem homecoming. There's Jesus. He even goes home to Nazareth. He has quite an experience with that. Homecoming. But the greatest homecoming story, I believe, is the one we're going to be looking at in this series. The greatest homecoming story of all in scripture is this one that maybe you've heard of, even if you haven't been around the church a whole lot, and that's the story of the prodigal son. The wayward lost son who wastes everything, then returns home. The father welcomes him home. The older brother is kind of resentful of that. That's the story in a nutshell. And no wonder it's such a great story because Jesus tells the story. And Jesus is the best storyteller to ever live. Actually, Jesus tells three stories about lost things in Luke chapter 15, where this passage is found. He tells the story of the lost sheep, the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go find the one. Which, by the way, our Hosanna logo has 99 lines, part to represent, you know, leaving the 99 to go find the one. Jesus also tells the story of the lost coin, a woman who has 10 coins and loses one and then finds it and rejoices. And then, of course, there's the story of the lost son. As I was reading this passage, preparing for this message, kind of soaking it in for a couple of weeks, God seemed to show me, I was talking about 
this with someone the other day, that, that not all lost things, not all lost people are created equal. That, that there are different categories of lost things here in this passage. There's the lost sheep who wanders off. He doesn't intend to get lost. doesn't set out to get lost. He just kind of gets distracted, right? A sheep would, would do and, and gets lost, wanders. Then there's the coin that didn't do anything to get lost, right? And first of all, it's an inanimate object. Secondly, someone else lost it. Sometimes people get lost because they've been wronged, because they've been wounded, because someone else has done something to them. And then, of course, the way we typically think about loss is the willful younger son who willfully rejects his father and wastes everything. I think it's helpful for us to think about those people in our lives who maybe kind of lost, you know, in terms of Christian faith. and They're not all lost for the same reasons. But there's one more lost person in the story we're going to be looking at. Now, if you're like me, you grew up thinking about the prodigal story this way, that, that the younger son was the bad example. Right? He, he took that inheritance prematurely. He went off. He wasted it. The older, the older son, the older brother, he's, you know, he, he sticks around. He gets kind of grumpy and resentful, right? But otherwise, he's the good example, right? Because he's the one that sticks around. There's more going on with this story. And it's really important that we understand this. See, the word prodigal means loose, means extravagant, means wasteful even. There are two prodigals in this story that we're going to be looking at. The younger son, we get that, how he's wasteful, how he's loose with and, and wasteful, wild with what he's been given. But the older son is loose with some things as well. He's loose with judgmentalism, moralism, and of self-righteousness. And he's just as lost. He's just as lost as the younger son which means we need to have another category of lost people, and that's the self-righteous wrong. They tend to be religious people, believers, people who think they've got it all figured out and everyone else is wrong, just as lost. The self-righteous wrong. And they need to come home too. The older brother needs to come home too. So next week, we're gonna look at the older son. We're gonna talk more about that. Week three, we're gonna talk about another person who's pretty loose in this story and extravagant, the father. But today, we're gonna talk about the younger son. And as we walk through this series, I would encourage you to ask the question, where am I in the story? Because we are all in the story. In fact, I believe we can each identify with all of the characters at some level, but there's going to be one who we identify with even more than the others. The younger son. Open your Bibles to Luke 15. If you haven't already, you heard me talking about it. Luke 15, and uh, we're going to start at verse 11. If you uh, have your Phone on your uh, Bible on your phone, you can do that too. Otherwise, we're going to have the words on the screen for you. Verse 11 says this To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. Let's stop here. To illustrate the point. What's the point? We, we have to understand the context of this whole chapter. The point why Jesus is telling this story. And we're not gonna go back and read them, but to understand the point, you have to go all the way back to the beginning of this chapter, the first couple of verses of Luke 15, where it talks about how tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus. They loved hanging out with Jesus. 
the younger brothers. But then there were the, the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders who they were offended by this, that, that sinners were hanging out with Jesus who was supposed to be an upstanding you know, rabbi, teacher. The older brothers. Jesus is making a point. Contrary to what we've typically believed about this story, not to the younger brother, but to the older brothers. He's making a point. And when Jesus is making a point, we should probably lean in, right? Verse 12, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. It just, this, <laughs> this is massive. It's audacious that the younger son even asks for his inheritance early, but it's earth-shattering that the father fulfills this request. It's not how it's supposed to happen. You, you get inheritance when someone dies, not when they're still alive. But even more than that, in order to fulfill this request, because wealth would have been mostly in real estate in those days, the, the father would have had to sell off a portion of his land. Typically, the older son in a family got two-thirds of the inheritance. The, the second-born got a third. So he had to sell off a third of his land to fulfill this request, which would have been very disruptive to the father's lifestyle and the, and the people he was caring for, the, employ, the people that he was trying to employ. It would have, this is jaw-dropping, the other thing I wanted to just talk about briefly here, pastorally, God's been putting this on my heart. He divided his inheritance. God's putting on my heart divided families. This family gets divided for a specific reason, but families get divided for all kinds of reasons. And what I believe the Lord wants you to hear, if that's you, is that if you're a divided family for whatever, and God cares about you. He sees you. One of the greatest stories that Jesus ever tells is about a divided family who eventually gets restored. He can restore divided families. If that word's for you, just receive that word of encouragement. Verse 13. A few days later, that's been an awkward few days, don't you think? This younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land and there he wasted all his money in wild living. Wild living, that's where the word prodigal comes from. Wild living, prodigal. And he moves to a distant land because this is what happens. This is the pattern when we are doing something that we know isn't right. We just know, even if we're not consciously aware of it, but deep down, we know what we're doing isn't right. What do we do? We remove ourselves to a distant land. We get away from people who know us who know who we really are because we just want to you know, do what we're going to do and we want to get away from those familiar surroundings of people who know us. And that's what's going on here. Verse 14, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Including the pigs, apparently, wouldn't even give him their food. This is how far 
he's come, or this is how far he's fallen. Even what the, the pigs are eating looks good to him. Even what, what the pigs, the, the pigs, the swine that he's supposed to be feeding looks good to him. He's so hungry. It looks good to eat. In other words, he's come to a place where he's willing to eat like a pig. That's how far he's fallen. He was living high on the hog and now he's eating with the hogs. What are the hogs eating? These pods. Pods were a, a fruit, technically, low in taste, low in nutritional value. They, they were used to fatten swine, and only the lowest classes would eat these pods. And he's so hungry at this point. He's willing to eat the pods. And the Ephesians series that that we just completed. Go back and watch last week if you haven't already. Powerful message and, and series to catch up on. But in that series, we said, you know, we, what we want preachers to do is, is preach from their hearts. We want them to, to read the text and, and whatever God stirs up in their hearts, we want them to preach into that. And I think we should keep that going, don't you? This is what's on my heart. Sometimes, Maybe even a lot of the time, more than we realize, more than we're willing to admit, we are so hungry, we're willing to eat pig pods. Like we're so famished, we are so starving, we are willing to eat these pig pods that are low in nutritional value. In fact, they can never satisfy, they can never satiate us, they can never fulfill us, but we're eating, consuming things because we are so hungry think maybe this will satisfy, maybe this will fulfill me. And yet there's no nutritional value. How's this play out today? All kinds of ways, including in this way. <sighs> Top ramen. Our boys love Top ramen. In fact, I think they would choose Top ramen over the, the magnificent feast that my wife puts before them every every night. And I'm thinking, man, you got plenty of time in college to eat top ramen. Eat the feast right now. <laughs> Maybe there's a literal way, right? Nothing against top ramen. But not the most nutritional value. It plays out in all kinds of ways today. It, it, it plays out in, in terms of how we consume media, right? How we consume news media, social media, Entertainment medium, uh, media, the, the word binge watch right, tells it all. We're just trying to consume the pig pods. Maybe this will give me what, I, uh, what I'm looking for. Maybe this will fulfill me. I'm so hungry. I'm so satiated. I'm starving to death. Maybe media will fill me up. Or we consume stuff. Consumerism. If I just get that next thing or that new thing or if I just have the nicer house or the nicer car. Oh, pig pods. Pig pods. Or, or the rhetoric that we dine on these days, the rhetoric around politics, the rhetoric around the pandemic, the rhetoric. In fact, I, I, just, I just got this in the worship time, a word, rhetoric ramen. <laughs> Dining on rhetoric ramen. We're so hungry, we're just, man, I gotta get, I'm into that. We get caught up in the drama. We're starving to death. We're willing to eat what the pigs eat. No nutritional value, 
never satisfies us, but we're so hungry. You know what it is for me? It's, it's this, like I got, I'm sitting in the pigsty, like I gotta figure it out. I gotta do everything. I gotta take care of it. I gotta manage everything. I, I can't let anything, anything slip. If it's gonna happen, it's up to me. If it's gonna be, come to be, it's up to me. I'm, I'm living that way, eating the pig pots, trying to keep it all together. Or, or and I gotta get it, I gotta get it just right. I gotta do it just right. I, I gotta say it just right. I gotta be just right. Pig pots. When there is a feast at the Father's table that's waiting for me, I'm eating pig pots. How we compare ourselves to others, we're better than, we're worse than, pig pots. This is on my heart. That we're so hungry in our lives that we are willing to eat pig pots. Just like the younger son. Can you see yourself? Unfortunately, he comes to his senses. That's what it says. Verse 17. When he finally comes to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as your servant, as your hired servant. He comes to his senses. He's stuck in the mud. He's looking at the pig pods going, oh man, those look good. But he comes to his senses. The, the Greek there, it means, uh, metaphorically, it means to come into being, to, to show oneself, to find oneself, to know who we really are, to be known for who we really are. Come to our senses. How did he come to his senses? Realize, this isn't where I belong. This isn't who I am. I shouldn't be eating pig pods. There's a feast three times a day, at least, at my father's table back home, and I'm eating pig pods. How did he come to his senses? We don't know exactly. How do we come to our senses? In all kinds of ways, specifically. But generally, I'd say this. It's our human nature to get drawn to the pig pods, our fallen human nature. In order to come to our senses, to remember who we really are, to remember where we really belong, to remember what we really should be dining on and eating in our lives, it takes more than our human nature. It takes a supernatural experience. It takes God's movement. It takes God's activity. It takes God's power to help us come to our senses and realize, whoa, this is not where I belong. This is who I really am. And I just pray right, right now even that people start coming to their senses Wake up, like this is, this is not who I am. There, there, there's a feast that's waiting for me. God, I pray that people would come to their senses in Jesus' name. There's a feast waiting. In fact, I, the specific word, has that there are some people that are having physical, like hunger pain, pangs, stomach aches, and you think there's gotta be something physically wrong with me. No, you are spiritually starving. You've been willing to eat what the pigs eat and God wants to show you the feast that waits for you. Maybe that word's for you. Verse 20, comes to his senses. So he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, love that, his father saw him coming. 
Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. It's time for a homecoming party, people. It was like, cue, celebration, cool in the gang, right? It is time for a party. If there's a more compelling, inspiring illustration of the gospel than this story, the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't know what it, what it is. Because this son doesn't deserve what, he's, what he receives. He doesn't deserve to be celebrated. He has wasted everything and he was eaten with the pigs and now the father is welcoming him home. In fact, he runs to him, which again, would have been unheard of for a man of his stature. It was, it was undignified for a man of his stature to run at all, to pick up his robes and run like people who had, they didn't need to run. They had servants. They had people taking care of He's running. Gives his son who's returned the robe, the best robe, which means it was the father's robe. What robe did the father wear to the party then? Not the best robe. His son was wearing that. And then the fattened calf. The fattened calf, which, let's just say that fattened calf was not eating pig pots. In fact, that fattened calf was probably eating better than most humans because that fattened calf had been saved for months, if not years, for the perfect moment, the perfect celebration, and this was it. The younger son has come home. He was lost, now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. The older son's response, we'll look at this more next week, and how lost he is. But we see the father's response. This lavish love, this undignified love, this, this loose, radical love that is represented by this feast that the son is invited into. We'll talk more about that in a couple weeks. The prodigal father. But as we close here, we just ask, where do you see your story in the story of the younger son? Where are you eating pods? Where, where are you so hungry, starving to death, that you're willing to eat these things that look good because we're so hungry, but really they're so low in nutritional value, spiritually so unsatisfying. In fact, they will never satisfy you. What is it? Fill in the blank. And again, we... We tend to think of the older son or the younger son as only being the bad example. And maybe in eating the pods, he, he is and, and what leads up to that, but, but he's also a good example, maybe even a better example than his older brother. And that at some point, he comes to his senses. Because this isn't who I am. This isn't where I'm supposed to be. This isn't where I belong. And he gets up and he turns and he repents and he goes home to the Father where a feast awaits him. We can too. We can realize, we can come to our senses. We need God's help that we can come to our senses. I'm eating these pig pots. 
and we can repent and we can get up and we can return to the feast that's waiting. God's love, His forgiveness, His grace. It's extravagant. It's wasteful. Even We might even see it as wasteful, but his love for you never ends. He's saying, come back to the table. Come home. You're never too far off. While he was still a long way off, the father runs to him. You don't even have to get it all cleaned up and figured out. And He's running. Can you see him even now? He's running to you. He's running after you. He'll never stop. But if you just turn to him, let's come home this fall. I mean, let's really come home. Dine at the table. We pray for you. God, we humbly recognize that there are times in our lives when we are willing to eat pig pots instead of partaking in the feast, the magnificent feast that awaits us. We recognize the pig pods in our lives. Help us to come to our senses, to get up, to turn toward home, humbly, ready to receive what you have for us. And then help us to see you running, Father. Even when we're still a long ways off, you're running. We say yes to you, Father. We say yes to your embrace. In you, we can finally find our home. We can feel totally at home. We can home, come home in you. Our hunger can finally and fully be satisfied and fulfilled in you. We say yes to you, Father. We say yes to you, Lord Jesus, who makes all of this possible. We say yes to you, Holy Spirit. Work in our lives now. Work in our lives now. Release your presence. Release your power. Help us to come to our senses and to come home to feast at the table of your love. There's joy. Celebrate. When we come home, there is a celebration like none other. And may we all now step into and share in that celebration right now. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Let's worship.